Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this uh, beautiful, gorgeous day that you've given us. Thank you for just the opportunity of being able to be here and to just praise your wonderful name. God, you are so faithful and you are just so amazing. And we thank you for the privilege of you wanting to hear our praises, you wanting to hear us talk to you and communicate with you. We thank you for that. And at this moment, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you may just manifest in this room in the lives in the hearts and the minds of each and every person in here. God, that they may receive your message, that they may hear, even if it's just one little thing that they need to hear, God, that they may hear it because it is for you. It is for them to get closer to you because you want them to be near you. And at the Holy Spirit, I also ask you that you may manifest in me, that you may um, speak through me, that the words that I say, that they may be yours. And if there's anything that you don't want me to say, that you may just throw that off to the side that um, I am your instrument and that you can use me the way you want to use me. And um, we just ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So random thought, how many doors do you guys think that we go through on an average day? Just think about it. If you're in school, think about it. If you're in college, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're whatever, anywhere you are at, imagine the amount of doors that you walk through. It's a lot, right? There's a lot of doors that we walk. Now imagine in the span of your lifetime, how many doors you've probably walked through, through so many different kinds of doors, bedroom doors, bathroom doors, bathroom stall doors, sliding doors, house doors, church doors, double doors, trap doors, attic doors, basement doors. There are so many different kinds of doors that we've gone through throughout our lives. You know, but the thing about doors is that We don't ever think about it when we walk through them, right? It's never a thing we think about. We just walk through. There's no need to second guess. There's no need to have a second thought. Even the most indecisive person in the world doesn't stop at the doorframe and ask themselves, do I I really want to walk through this door? That's not a thing. And you know, doors can be exits. They could be bridges. Doors can be um, gateways. They could be a barrier, That's what doors can be. Doors can either protect things that are inside. Doors can give us easy access to go into a certain place or have a shortcut. Doors also prevent people from entering. And doors are meant to separate too. So that's what doors do in our lives. And you know, in in the Bible, The doors are also used to this metaphorical door. Doors are used in the Bible. And we, you know, as people, we love to use doors as a reference to metaphorical stuff in life too. It is the door of opportunity. Oh man, this door just closed in my life. Oh uh, yeah, I'm in the hallway walking around waiting for the next door to open. We love to hear the word, the metaphorical use of door. Well, lucky for you, (laughs) when Jesus writes or when Jesus sends this letter to the church of Philadelphia, this in in what we're going to be reading about in Revelation, when he writes this letter to the church of Philadelphia, in there he talks about a certain door. And Philadelphia knows a lot about a door of opportunity, and Jesus knows that they know that. And uh, another thing about that is that they also know how to be faithful, He knows that this church of Philadelphia knows how to be faithful with those doors, despite temptations, despite trials, despite whatever is going on around them, they have remained faithful. 
And Jesus points all of that out in his letter. He acknowledges them. He says, man, you've been doing amazing. You've been doing great. Just imagine getting a letter from Jesus like that, that says that. No rebuke. Just, hey, you're doing amazing. And so that's what this sermon is kind of going to go on. This sermon isn't really going to be um, like a few, like the other churches that we've been talking about. There's something that Jesus is rebuking them on. So we're going to kind of take a little break on the rebuking. And this sermon is going to be more of, of an encouragement of this hope of this, this letting you know that, Hey guys, you're doing good, but you know, you just got to keep going. Jesus is telling this church, you just got to keep on going. We're going to learn from this church how they were faithful, how Philadelphia was faithful. And from them, we're going to learn how it's possible for us to be faithful to God too, faithful in our walk, faithful to God as we walk through open doors, faithful to God through the closed doors in our lives and faithful to God when we're waiting for the door to open. But before we kind of talk and get into that, those details, before we get into more about Philadelphia, uh, about, you know, being faithful to God, we got to figure out who Philadelphia is in the first place, just like the other churches, because this letter was specific for them. First off, this is not the Philadelphia that we're talking about. Just to let everyone know, just to clear the air, this isn't the Philadelphia we're talking about. We're talking about this Philadelphia. This Philadelphia is a lot older, as you can tell. And at the moment, it's not really a very luscious type of city like the Philadelphia in the United States. This Philadelphia is lo- was at the time, it was located in what is now Turkey. At the time, they called it Asia Minor. So this, is, this church is where all the other churches were at too, this city. It's around all these other cities that we've been talking about. They're all in the same area. The city was founded by a guy named King Attalus. Now, King Attalus loved, like absolutely loved his brother so, so much. He wanted to do something big for him. So he names the city Philadelphus which in turn means brotherly love. And by the way, Philadelphus is also like his last name. So he named it after his brother's last name, also kind of after his own name, you know, win-win situation. So Philadelphus brotherly love. Now this is known for, yeah, brotherly love, but it's also a huge vacation spot. So for if you ever wanted to go to a honeymoon, Philadelphia was a place to go. Philadelphia had the bet was known for the best leather goods that they had. They were also known for having the best wine because of volcano and its ashes kind of falling on the soil and it made it very fertile. And they were also known to have the best hot springs in the region. So if you guys like hot springs, that was the place to go. Philadelphia was very big. It was very popular. It was a very nice type of city, but it was also a Hellenistic missionary spot. And what that means is that Philadelphia was the center of Greek culture. Philadelphia was the main place where you go, where you wanted to learn about the Greeks and what they did and what gods they served. And because they were in a very strategic location, it was economically in their benefit and it was culturally in their benefit. They had access to this really long road that went throughout the region. And this road was so awesome that it was so easy to access. It was so easy for travel, not like the gravel roads around here. And it was very easy to be able to go through one place to another very quickly. There wasn't really much of a problem. So because of that, it was not only 
the opportunity for this, for this city to grow economically and to grow and to be um, prosperous. But their culture for the Greek, for the love of the Greek culture spread so much so they went out, they were missionaries spreading it everywhere, that there was even a town nearby that completely forgot their original language because of how much influence the Greek culture was. That's like intense that they were doing a very good job. So that is Philadelphia. And even though they had a very strategic area for them, for the Greek culture, the church of Philadelphia was very special too. The church of Philadelphia was small. The Greek culture was dominating and surrounding them, but they were faithful. They're known as the faithful church. And the craziest thing too, is that Jesus doesn't say anything against them in this letter. The church of Smyrna, Jesus also didn't say anything either. So this is the second church out of the seven in which Jesus doesn't say he has anything against them. This letter is filled with hope, with encouragement, and with warnings from things that might hurt them. So we're going to find out what... We're going to find out more about this church of Philadelphia and see how it is they've been faithful and how we can be faithful too. I'm going to read Revelation chapter three, just verse seven for now. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy one, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Now, one important thing we got to lay down before we get into anything else is that we got to figure out who we're being faithful to. Who exactly are we being faithful to? Before we go on and talk about how being faithful through the open doors, being faithful through the doors that have shut, being faithful through the doors that we're waiting for it to open, we got to figure out who exactly we're being faithful to in our walk. Because without understanding that, then we won't really be able to be faithful unless we really know who we're being faithful to. So Jesus does something awesome for us and he introduces himself. It's usually what happens when people write a letter, they introduce themselves. And Jesus uses these two titles for himself. He says, I am the holy one and I am the true one. The holy one and true one. So we're going to go with the holy one first. What is the big deal about this, him giving himself this title? I mean, right? It's like, I can call myself the holy one, but I am not. So this, the holy one, using this title, this title only belongs to God alone. This title does not belong to anyone or anything else. This title is only his. So those reading this letter, they're like, whoa, like he's taking on that title. Okay. And so this title isn't for angels because angels are creations. They're, they're creator, you know, they're created by God. So they can't be the holy one. And as humans, well, you know, as humans, so we cannot be the holy one either. We cannot, we fall way too short of that. And you see, maybe you might be saying, well, whoa, whoa, Giselle, but doesn't the Bible say, be holy for I am holy? Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to pursue holiness? We're supposed to be like God and be holy like he's holy. And you're absolutely right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight about that. That's totally true. We are supposed to be pursuing holiness. If we say we're Christians, whereas that is what we are called to do to be more like Christ. But that word in Greek is called hosios. So this word, hosios, it is not, that means it's when a man or a person is pursuing holiness. 
But the word that John is using here is hagios. The Greek word hagios refers to the transcendently distinctive quality of God. Now, this means that there is nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing and no one, that is as great as God is. There is absolutely nothing and no one that can be to the level that God is at in his holiness. There is nothing and no one that can ever compare to the holiness of God. That is what God is saying. That is what Jesus is saying. I am the holy one. I am the perfect one. I am the pure one. I am the unique one because there is no one like me. So the holy one, and then there is the true one. He says, I am the true one. So he's saying that he is truth. Jesus has said that before. If you guys remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's already mentioned that before, that he is the truth. So if he's truth, that means he cannot lie. Yes. If he is truth, he cannot lie. If God were to lie, that would just crash everything. But God will not lie. God cannot lie because that goes against his nature. That goes against who he is. So if he's truth, there's nothing, no one bit of lie in him. He is the truth. And because he is the truth, because he is the holy one, he is the source of our holiness. He is the source where we go to, to get that holiness. And he's the source of where we find the truth. So in the Greek culture, this place where things looked true, he was true in a place where things look true for us. We need to remember that he is true because the Greek gods that they worshiped that, that at that time, they didn't get, they didn't create the entire universe, the one, you know, one. They weren't the ones who got the Egypts out of Israelite. They weren't the ones who helped them get out of exile when they were in the Babylonian exile or with all the other tons of nations that they kept getting into exile with. And they weren't the ones who sent their only son to come down to earth as a human who they regarded as low to die for the sins of all humanity. None of those gods did that. So Jesus is trying to make sure he gets that point, sets that point that, hey guys, I am the true one. I am the holy one. There's no one like me. So this is the God that the church of Philadelphia has been faithful to. And this is the church. I mean, sorry, this is the God that we're called to be faithful to too. Just like Philadelphia was. And we can be faithful to Christ. Because we know who he is. We can be faithful to Christ because we know who he is. And we can be faithful to him through open doors. So we're going to read verse 7 and 8 now. The end of 7 and then going into 8. It says, Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have belittled power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So what door does Jesus open? Philadelphia is supposed to know because every letter is usually specific to whatever the church is going through. Whatever he talks about, the church understands. So what door is he talking about? Well, like I said earlier, if you guys remember, 
Philadelphia was the missionary city for Greek culture, right? They were sending people out to spread the culture and, and trying to get other people to also do what they were doing. Well, just like how it was very strategic opportunity for their Greek culture, it was a strategic opportunity for the church. Just like how the Greek culture was able to spread from there, the church was going to use those same tactics, the same strategies to go and spread the gospel of Jesus out. It was to fulfill God's word for them to be the door in which the gospel would come out into that region from. And this was big for them. Remember, they were a small church and they were surrounded by all of this. This was a big opportunity for them. They got to be chosen to do this. They got to be chosen to be and make this big impact around there. And it's not just that they had the door. It's not just that Jesus said, hey, here's the door for you. Jesus expected them to walk through it too. It wasn't just about giving them the opportunity. It wasn't just about them doing all the talk. But it was about them going into that door that Jesus was telling them to go in through. The, G- the door that he had for them. And they were. They were faithful. They walked through the door. They did what God was calling them to do. And Jesus acknowledges them for it. He says, you guys are doing so great. I'm so proud of you. You're walking. You're doing what the opportunity that I gave you. You're like, you're amazing. You're doing awesome. And they did not turn back. They kept his word. They didn't deny his name. And by that, it means that they weren't ashamed of the God they were serving. They weren't ashamed, even if they were being drowned by the Greek culture. They remained faithful because they knew who their God was. And so this door of opportunity that they were being called to be faithful to, they did it. And I think we've had those doors too, right? Or you can ask yourself, have I had a door of opportunity like that? A door that was so evident, you knew it was God who had opened that door for you. Because remember, he has the keys. It was so evident that you knew like, yeah, this is, this is God's door. All right. I'm going to walk right through. Some of you are like, yeah, I, yeah, I can think of a door. I, I can figure it out. Now, the next question is, were you faithful? Because we can think of the door. We can think of how we really wanted to walk through, and we were so excited about this opportunity, but did we, were we faithful? Because when we follow God and when he opens these doors in our lives, he wants us to walk through them. He wants us to walk right through them. And, you know, some of us say like, yeah, we've walked through them. We do it. Some of you guys are say, oh, well, I don't know. You guys are still at the door frame and you're hesitant because you're not sure if you should walk through. You're not sure if you're ready to walk through. And some of you guys, maybe you've walked through and then you turned around and you walked right back out of where you were walked through. Some of you are in, these, are in these different stages. Some of you are in these different steps. And, you know, it's, it's possible to turn around. I know that in my experience, there was a time where I almost turned around. Or actually, let me rephrase that again. <laughs> there is a time where I was ready to walk out. I was ready to turn around. I was determined. I was like, all right, yeah, I guess this is what I'm going to do. Not with the same attitude, of course, but 
it was in my second semester of college. I go to a Bible college, for some of you who don't know, my last semester. But the, um, when I decided to come to Missouri to Bible college, everything God did, it was just set in motion. Everything was just perfect timing. Everything was just great and perfect. And I was for sure, like I was solid foundation. I know what I'm doing. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But in my second semester, a lot of things started turning around. It was fall 2016. And my mom found out it had finally come to light that my dad was having an affair. Some of you know, some of you don't, but my dad was having an affair. And at this time, he had already been having it for a few years now. So this came to light and this just devastated my family, of course, right? But throughout this time, my mom, she not only had to take the step and say, all right, I'm going to be the head of the household again. This is going to happen. I'm going to be here. And I got to like, you know, financially try to provide, find a job, make sure the kids are, you know, still going to school, making sure they're okay through all of this. But she was also having to struggle with the fact of that she had an emotional tear in her heart, that she had to get through this that she had to try to work this out in order to be able to do the economic and financial part and also being there for um, my siblings. And me being a thousand miles away was, you know, kind of hard to be there for them. And throughout the semester, my mom would constantly ask me, hey, Giselle, I need you to come home. I need you to come back. I need you to just try to find a job and help me. I need you to just be there to support me too because I really need support through all of this. And growing up um, in my household, at 16, you know, I got a job and I started helping my family out. So this was normal for me for her to say this to me. It was normal for her to tell me and to say like, hey, I got to step up and, you know, do my responsibility. But I was struggling with, going home and staying in college because I knew for a fact that's where God wanted me to be. Like this was the door that he had opened for me. I ran right through it. I took this leap. I went to college without realizing that I was supposed to take, you know, stuff to cover my mattress with. That's how unprepared I was. And so I was ready for this. I knew that this was supposed to be, but I had to try to figure it out. And I had to say, okay, God, did you just want me to walk through this door and come back out? Like, is this what you had in mind? Is this what you wanted me to do? Like, why take me a thousand miles away and then just tell me to come back, like, after my second semester? After much prayer and discernment, because, you know, you can't ever really figure out what God wants you to do until you really find him, until you really get on your knees until you really go into his word to make sure that his plan, that door aligns with his word, aligns with his will, aligns with who he is, the true and holy good God. And so after, after that semester, I went back home in December and I talked to my mom and I said, mom, I love you. And I would love to come back home. I would love to be here with you and help you and be with my siblings through all of this but I can't because I need to be where God wants me to be. I need to be where he is calling me to be, to grow, to learn more of him, to figure out um, what else he wants me to do. And even though it's far away, like I'm going to get a job, I'll get another job and I'll send you the money. And God is just so good. 
My mom knew and she understood that. She knew that I had to be where he was calling me. And she accepted and she knew that I, if it meant me getting a job, that was fine, which I already had one. But I mean, whatever it was, God helped me get through it all. I mean, I still got good grades. I'm fine. I'm graduating soon, so I'm pretty sure I survived. <laughs> that is how, who our holy and true God. And it was because I knew who he was that I was able to remain faithful in that walk. But remaining faithful isn't always easy. It's never easy. Sometimes it's very difficult because the, whenever we're through this, the church of Philadelphia, they knew this. They knew it wasn't going to be easy. They were surrounded by so many difficult things. But, you know, we have this really fun assurance from God. In John chapter 6, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. It was the total opposite. Jesus says it was going to be hard. When you follow me, it was going to be hard. It is going to be hard. You will have tribulation, but he gives us the assurance that it's going to be hard, but I already overcame. You're going to have peace in the midst of the struggles. You're going to have peace knowing that I'm constantly with you in every circumstance. Philadelphia was very small. They were surrounded by a Greek culture. They were being persecuted by the Jews in the city. And then they were being persecuted by outside influence outside of the city. And the temptation to just go the easy way out and go into the Greek culture and just do what everyone else was doing was there constantly. They knew it was difficult, but they remained faithful because they knew who God is, because they knew what he had done. They knew what aligned with who he was. They knew what was aligned with his will for them because God saw them and they said they were weak and they were little and God said, I am your strength and your weakness. I am the one who is great and will do great things through you. They said, well, I don't know. You know what, God, I'm scared because of the people persecuting me. And he says, no, your fear is out of here because I will give you courage. Take heart, hold Fast. And then they even said, well, you know what? I'm not good enough. I can't go and talk to a bunch of different people in different areas and regions around me. He said, well, you don't have to because my spirit is in you and my spirit will speak through you. I have given you the words. I have given you the truth. You know who I am. It's amazing. The tough parts. In every tough part, God knows. Just like that song said, that his, he's never weary. You might be tired, but don't worry. His gas tank is always full. He has more to give and more and more and more. But you know, maybe the tough parts might look different for all of us. They're never the same for some of us. Some of us might go through the same things maybe, but... The tough parts are always different. Maybe you're, you're young 
and you know, you want to save yourself to marriage. You want to save yourself. You want to be, you be ready to, for the person you're going to be with for the rest of your life. But culture says the total opposite. Culture says, do whatever you want. Or, you know, maybe you're being called to the, into ministry in some type of way to serve in ministry. Or maybe you're being, God is calling you to go out into the mission field, but you're scared your fear, your, your uh, security, and your comfort is stopping you from moving. Or, you know, maybe it's that this door that you see, the door that God has opened for you, you know that if you walk in there, transformation is going to start. You're going to have to give up things. You're going to have to give up your pride. You're going to give, have to give up those sin. You're going to have to give up things. And you're kind of stuck at the door frame. Because you just don't want to budge. Or, you know, maybe it's because you think you're too young or you think you've already passed the age of being able to make a difference. And you know that if you walk through that door, God's going to show you the total opposite. Philadelphia didn't show it was easy. Philadelphia showed that it was possible through Christ to be faithful. And I want to show you guys a verse. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let's notice one thing about this. It says all things work together for good. It doesn't say all the good things work together for good. It says that all things work together. All things, all the temptations, all the trials, all the difficult parts in life, all of those, all the good stuff in life, they all work together for good, for his good, for his purpose in our life. It's that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When we walk in line in God's will, when we remain faithful through the door that he's opened for us, everything will work out because we are in his purpose. We're walking in what he wants us to do. And so remaining faithful isn't always easy, but the outcomes seeing his will come to come 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 through seeing the outcomes and the rewards of all of that of all of us remaining faithful in those really difficult times those are all things that happen and they're all worthwhile and Jesus is about to mention the things that they're awaiting so it is because we know who he is and what he has done that we can remain faithful through the open doors. So now what about the closed doors? What about the ones that just shut in our face? The ones that we thought were the opportunity of a lifetime, the ones that we thought were the great doors. What about those doors? What about when they close? Close. Philadelphia understands that too. Funny, right? So we're going to read verse nine. Verse nine says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet 
and they will learn that I have loved you. So Philadelphia had a synagogue. It's where the Jews would hang out, right? And so in this synagogue, to have a synagogue in your city, it was big deal. It was really nice because you didn't have to travel to a different town or a different country or a different city to have to, you know, go to a synagogue. So they had a synagogue in there. But one thing about that, so saying that there was a synagogue, synagogue means that there was also a high population of Jewish people that were in that city. There's a lot of Jews living there. But when a Jew became a Christian, it was bad news for them. So Jesus says synagogue of Satan. That's because those real Jews, the ones that claim to be the true heirs of every inheritance, they would ban the Jews that had just become Christian. They would ban them from the synagogue. They would close the doors on them. They exiled them out of the synagogue and they weren't allowed to go in there. Now, if you were a Jew and you grew up going to the synagogue with your parents and going to the synagogue as a teenager and then as an adult, that was a big deal for them. That was a part of their life. That was a part of who they were. And it was taken away from them for the sake of Christ, for the sake of being Christian. And we've probably all had our fair share of closed doors. My, I know, my fair share of closed doors, <clears throat> my brother, my older brother, he's six years older than me, and I always thought he was so cool because he was so much older than I was. I thought he was just the coolest person ever, and when I kind of realized that he was kind of cool, he was in high school, so I was like, oh, even cooler, you're in high school, oh my goodness, like, I have an older brother, and I thought he was crazy awesome. And because he was such, he was so much older than me, I always felt like he had these secrets that I needed to know about. And as the little sister, you know, I always bugged him all the time. And he had his own room, which I still don't understand how that was fair, but he had his own room. He got to sleep in his own room. So he, but he would always lock the door when he would leave. He'd lock the door so that us siblings, mainly me, wouldn't walk in there and try to look through his stuff or see what he had. But I had a way in, not the window, which I could have done that. But instead, the do- I learned that if I got a knife and I kind of went through the door frame and like just kind of curved it a little bit and kind of wiggled the knife a bit and tried to get to the other side of the little bolt, I would be able to unlock the door. And so I was super, you know, me, I was like, all right, I got this. I'm going to do it. Like he tried to get, like, not let me in. So one day when I was walking, I walked in there and I was, you know, opening his drawer, seeing everything he had, going through all his boxes and stuff, seeing what he had and um, the stuff he, he was trying to hide or something. I was trying to figure it out. Well, he came home when I thought he had left to his friend's house, but he had come back home. And oh my goodness, for me, one thing too, if you just yell at me, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so he got so mad at me and he started yelling at me for doing that. And he kicked me out of his room. And after that, he kept making me do stuff for him. So I was like his servant for, for disobeying or whatever. And so he, so of course, when he told my mom, I got in trouble too, for not only 
constantly always messing with the knife that I eventually just messed up the door completely because I also told my siblings about doing that. So then they did it too. And so all of this stuff kind of just went downhill for me after that. But that was a closed door that I wasn't supposed to walk through. But I forced myself in because I knew there was something behind there that would have been for my benefit, that would have been good for me to know. But that wasn't what happened. And so sometimes the closed doors in our lives might be a job interview that didn't go well. Maybe it was marrying, we thought we were going to marry this certain guy or this certain girl, um, or that we were going to be dating this certain guy or this certain girl, but then eventually just break up suddenly. Or, you know, maybe it was you thought that this ministry opportunity you thought God was calling to, you were for sure on it, you were going to go for it, you jump right in, and it doesn't go the way you planned out. Or... You know, maybe you've been trying so hard to make these relationships and you've been trying to build and force these relationships, these influences that you know aren't really good for you, but nothing's working out because the door is closed. For the Church of Philadelphia, the synagogue door was closed on them. And before they started trying to push it open, you know, try to like wiggle the knife in there to unlock the door, before they tried any of that, God reminded them that he has the key. He said, the one who holds the key of David. He reminds them about the key. And not only that, but he says, hey, I have the key and I locked the door, but come here with me because I have something better for you. He gives them the assurance that he had another door for them. And in the same way, God is telling us whenever these doors that close in our lives that we think were the ones that we're supposed to go through, he's saying that he has another door for us, that we don't need to try to keep prying the door open because he has something better and stored. And you know, there's a saying that you hear a lot and it's that when God closes a door, he opens a window. Well, I can assure you, and I'm here to tell you, that if God closed the door, he for sure wasn't going to open a window for you to crawl through. When God closes a door, he closes a door. That's an area that the door is behind the behind the door, that area isn't the one that God wanted you to be in. He is waiting, he is waiting for you and he, and he wants you to patiently wait for him to open the door that he does have for you, to open the one that will be better. Because when he closes, there is a better purpose. And in order for him to get us to realize that better purpose, sometimes we need the door slammed. Sometimes we are going to need that because we like to be stubborn. And so we got to get over the door we knew was good for us. The relationship we thought was best for us. The jobs and the pursuit we worked so hard towards that would get us to where we need to be. The, and our pride that we could do everything on our own because he knows what's good. He is the holy the true one, and the good God. Because God has the keys, and not us, 
Because, I mean, we already lose the keys we have here on earth, so why is he going to give us the keys for these doors in our lives? Because, we have, because he's the one who has the keys, he knows the right time to close a door and to open a door. He knows when is best. He is the good, holy, true, and we can remain faithful to God when doors close because we know who he is. We can remain faithful to God through closed doors because we know he has a better purpose. So now we know that there is a better purpose. That means that we also have to wait. We have to wait to see when that other door will open. To the, oh, I forgot to read the verse, sorry. Okay, so Philadelphia also had to do some waiting. So let's find out what they were waiting for and whether or not they did it. So verse 10 through 13 says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will give you, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. They were going to need to be patient. And they did just that. They had patient endurance for what was to come. And Jesus was so confident in it. And Jesus acknowledges them for it. He acknowledges them for having that patient endurance in this time. And I could just imagine their excitement, like getting a crown of glory, getting their name on a pillar. Now, in, these, in this time in Philadelphia, they had pillars with the names of Greek gods on them. But when they see this and they say, my pillar with my name is going to be in the temple of my God, the everlasting temple. So I could just imagine their excitement of reading this and saying, I cannot wait for that door. I am so excited to run through that door, God. Because I'm so excited to see all of it come through. But they also know that they must remain faithful in knowing that God will open it when it's the right time, when it is time. And sometimes we will have to wait for that better purpose. Sometimes we're going to have to wait for those doors to open. Even though we're excited and even though we think we're ready. This better purpose may be the job he has ready for you, the college, the career that he's getting you prepared for, for the future that will glorify him, the relationship that will be the last relationship, the child that you've been waiting for, that relationship to be mended, or even the door that means he will welcome us with open arms saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Those doors in our lives, are important to have. They excite us because we know that God has something amazing for us. But it's the patience that we must have and remain faithful through the closed doors. Remain faithful through the doors we can walk through and remain faithful when we are waiting 
for that door to be open. In this waiting, the true, the holy, good God is preparing you. He wants to mold you. He is watching you grow. He's watching your growth. He's watching your faithfulness. He's acknowledging it. And he's practice and he's waiting for the perfect time for you to open that door for you. And in a here and now culture, it can be really difficult because we want things very fast. A la mera mera, how my mom says it. We want things quick and easy and done, but it is possible to have patience. It is possible to remain faithful. How? Because we know who God is. Because we know what he has done. And because we know that he will always be faithful to us. And he has a promise for us. Philadelphia's destination was so clear as we read. It paint, Jesus painted, painted this vivid description of what they were going to get of what their future awaited. It was like one of those sliding doors that after you clean it up with Windex, super clear and you can just walk right through it. But they saw it. They see everything that God has for them. The promise that they will enter into one day. But no matter how excited Philadelphia would be or how ready they might have thought they were, and no matter how excited we get about a better purpose that God has for us or how ready we think we are or how ready we don't think we are, God's timing is perfect. God knows when is best. And remember that he holds the key to the doors. So if he holds the key, it's better to remain faithful because we know he will open it when he knows it is time to open it. Praise team, you guys can come on up. So where are you? Where are you right now? Like I said earlier, this wasn't really, you know, one of those sermons that it was full of rebuke like the other churches to really make you realize, you know, come on, like Jesus but this was to remind you who you serve and why it is so awesome to remain faithful. So where are you? Waiting patiently for the open door or are you still stuck trying to pry it open? Or maybe you're still at the door frame, but you're hesitant to walk through it. Or, you know, maybe you're walking through the door but you've turned around. Maybe you're walking through and you're just really wanting God to keep helping you remain faithful in this walk, in this door. But wherever you are, Jesus has this letter. He has this letter telling you to trust in him. He's giving you this letter to remind you that it is possible He's telling you this letter to to remind you to rely on his strength, not on your own. He's writing this letter because he's telling you that it is going to be hard, but it is possible. He's writing this letter to remind you that you you are not not good enough because he did something for you on that cross. He knew that he, that you were going to know about what he did for you. 
the boat will be battered, like Kate's song said. The sails are going to be torn, but the anchor still holds. So you can remain faithful. We can remain faithful to God because we know who he is and what he has done. So the altar's open if you guys would like to come and to pray, to take time to just thank him or to just ask him. But they're open for you.